As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Butler <laughs> with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak. Give up the Amos. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's Jordan back to kick. It's blocked again. Picked up. It'll be a touchdown, Carolina, for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan beat Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. There's just something different about Mac Brown. He makes you feel like you can get the job done. I think Carolina gets the job done. I like it a little more low scoring. I think it's 24-20, the final score in favor of Carolina. The Mac is back doing good and looking fly. The Mac is back doing good and looking fly. Hey guys, and welcome into the first in-season edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun and exciting podcast, as you guys heard there. Uh, the soundbite leading in—that was my prediction for the game, and well, I nailed it spot on. Nailed it spot on. Have to celebrate. The fact that I uh, I got that one right. You turned to me immediately after the game was over, and uh, you you knew you knew it was gonna be it was gonna be a long week because first of all I told you it would be an ugly game, it was an ugly game, and second of all I told you that they would not score as many points as you thought they would, and uh, ultimately I ended up being right twenty four twenty the final in favor. Of the Tar Heels, and uh, it's their first win against an FBS opponent to open the season since 2000. That was a win against Tulsa. It's their first win against a Power 5 opponent since they opened the season against Indiana back in 1997. And it's just the second win in the last eight matchups against South Carolina. So a lot of different streaks broken. Mac Brown gets the job done in Charlotte. Um, it was definitely a pro-South Carolina crowd as well. So really it was a, a little bit of a hostile environment. But man, everything that could have gone right for the heels in the second half did go right for the first time in what seems like forever. And the Tar Heels get that season opening win. So uh, we were there, buddy, uh, to witness it. Josh Marlowe, of course, along with us here for uh, 
this recap edition of the podcast. We're just going to recap the game against South Carolina here tonight, and then of course uh, we will preview the game against Miami later in the week. But we were there, um, you know, we we were enjoying the game, and uh, it was a, a fantastic one. You know, we had been talking about this game for a while. You know, we did the pregame show, which we want to thank everybody who did watch and is still watching. It's up to over a thousand views, so thank you guys so much for that. Um, you know, we had a ton of fun uh, being able to put that on for you, but. You know this this was uh th- this was a very interesting game. You know, I told you for the first time in a while, um, you know, that the day after was a little bit tough on the voice because uh, we were yelling a pr- pretty loud um out of excitement. This is the first time we've been able to do that in a while. So, you know, how how good does it feel just to be able to sit here now? Uh, it's a Monday, but even yesterday, you know, waking up to a season opening win for the first time really since we've been Toriel fans against a Power Five opponent. I don't know about you. Uh, I'm still slowly getting the voice back. It's a little bit better today. Uh, I I left. When we were walking out of the stadium Saturday evening. And I was ready for this coming Saturday. And a lot of times when we look for the next, the second Saturdays, because we want to find a way to get a win, we don't got to worry about that. We're halfway to last year's win total already, so that's a positive thought. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, this is what I envisioned when we we hired Mac Brown. Was the feeling of big boy football in Chapel Hill, which we haven't really got to experience in our our lifetime. Um, but I think the win on Saturday, and Jones Angel said it best on the when he called it on the radio, it solidified that he is back, and that Carolina football, to some degree, is on its way back. They took that first step Saturday in that fourth quarter, outscoring the Gamecocks 15 to nothing, and doing something that we have struggled so hard to do for many years, which is finish finish the football game. We were the fresher team those last 15 minutes. We were the deeper team, which no one thought that entering the matchup. And uh, was really just, just proud of the guys' efforts. They never quit. And there was times where they could have quit, whether it was a turnover or blown coverage in the in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I told you in the pregame show, we're going to learn a lot about who we are today. And I think we learned a lot about what kind of team we can be with how we played Saturday afternoon. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, something that we saw, you know, you talked about finally being able to close a game late. I think the fact that, they have been in that situation before, and then you combine it with the fact that this was a staff that is just totally different. Is you know, look, they've been in those situations before, and they know how to close the deal. And um, you know, outside of of the big blunder that we'll, we'll talk about certainly um, as we go throughout this podcast. I think that they did a great job late in the game of knowing what to do with this team. You know, I, I think that also the execution made it a lot easier. You know, you were able to run the ball late in the game as opposed to having to throw the football. In past years, you haven't been able to run the ball as successfully as they did. Now you take that 
for what it's worth, whether or not that was because the coaching staff just didn't want to run the ball that much, um, or, you know, if maybe the offensive line and running game just wasn't that good as it is this season. I mean, you know, you, you look at it either way. This coaching staff did a phenomenal job. Um, you know, I know they received a, a lot of criticism early in the game, and I guess that's kind of where we'll start. Um, you know, the play calling uh, in the first half – I think a lot of people were really pretty angry about what was they, they were seeing on the field, um, especially in the red zone. Um, they, they really felt like we should have thrown the football a little bit more. Um, some very, very conservative plays in the red zone, including a run on third and goal from the eight-yard line, um, which really was you know kind of signifying during that drive, okay, we're here to take points, um, even if it is three. If, it, if, if he would have broken it through and gotten to the end zone cool but we were here to at least get something um you know I was one of the guys that during the game I told you it and you know I still stick by it now I think it was the right game plan um you know what I believe they were looking at what they were trying to do is don't put your young quarterback in trouble early don't let him force something to where, okay, if he throws an interception in the red zone on one or two of those drives, we've seen how that can derail a player going forward throughout the rest of the game, a la the last time we played South Carolina in Charlotte, Marquise Williams, when he threw the interception to Sky Moore in the end zone. So I actually liked what they did, especially with a true freshman quarterback to sort of leave it a little bit conservative early on, let him get settled, let him, you know, get into a little bit of a rhythm, which they did with the short passing game. And once they realized, okay, he's in a rhythm, now let's open it up a little bit. I thought he responded very well. And of course, we're going to talk about him for a while here. But, you know, I know that we kind of disagreed in the stands when it came to the play calling in the red zone. Has that stance changed now that we sit here after a victory? Or are you still someone that, you know, would have liked to see them get a little more aggressive earlier in the game? If we would have stayed conservative for the whole 60 minutes with Sam throwing the ball, uh, there would have been. I'm not going to say a rant from me, but we would have had to have a little discussion. Um, but also, I think Sam had to earn the trust as well. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a starter, you, you, you've got to earn the trust of certain play calls in certain situations. We look at some of the plays he made in the second half, and he earned the trust needed to open it up, let him throw the ball down the field later as the game grew longer. Um, and look, it's hard to question a game plan when you want. And I think I think you were right about taking the points because you kept yourself always in the game. Mm-hmm. And I think in the first game, and Matt Brown said it in the pregame meeting before the team played, the longer this game is close, the more pressure is going to build on them, and they're going to they're going to be forced to make mistakes because we're not expected to win. And so I think that. You know, you say that and you and then you prove it, and then all these things come to fruition. That's what happened. We kept it a close ball game throughout, and so the pressure started to build for South Carolina as the game got later, and then we made the plays necessary to win the game. And Sam Howell proved worthy of, of earning the trust of this coaching staff. Um, the team is going to trust him a little bit more when they go out there on Saturday because 
they know what he's capable of in game action now with some of the stuff we saw him doing uh, in the second half, some of the stuff you saw him doing in high school. Um, so I, I told you something we'll need to monitor, and I tweeted it out is how we perform in the red zone. You have, we had three drives, you mm-hmm. got three points, or you got points on all three drives, all three were field goals. At some point, that's got to turn into touchdowns if this team wants to win games at a, at a bigger level moving forward. And I think one of the things that Mac Brown really focused on and one of the biggest statements that I took out of that pre-game, uh, pre-trip meeting that they had with the players was, you know, he said, look, don't take yourself out of this game before we have a chance. We want to be there in the fourth quarter and give ourselves a chance to win this game because by that point, all the pressure will be on South Carolina. The pressure will not be on us, whether it was you know South Carolina in the situation they were winning the game or if they were trailing in the game. They had the pressure on them no matter what. And Mac Brown wanted to be in that position. I think that's why the play calling was the way it was. But you saw it open up in the second half. And let's talk about the guy that we call slinging Sammy Howell. This kid, I mean, I told you coming into spring, I said, look, this kid's going to win the starting job. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough ask to go to a kid and say, look, your first career start is going to be in front of family and friends, which you could say, okay, maybe that helps, but it can also hurt because there's a lot of pressure that you'll put on yourself to perform as good as you possibly can in front of your family. Um, Because Sam, of course, is from Monroe, North Carolina, which is literally 20 minutes away from Charlotte. And, you know, not only was he in that situation, he was on national television, an area where the Heels have really struggled, even dating back to that 2015 season. They really weren't all that great on national television. And, I I mean, you know, to come in and be the first true freshman to start a season opener, it's extremely difficult. I mean, Mac Brown never did that in his time there. And Mac Brown was a guy that, you know, even when he was back at Carolina in the 90s, he went against the traditions of always starting seniors. He started the guy that played the best at the position. So for him to go with Sam Howell, you know, you knew there was a reason. And we found that out. This is probably the most confident quarterback that the Tar Heels have had in a while. And there's a difference between confident and cocky. Sam is not a guy that's going to celebrate and show off to defenses after he scores touchdowns, but he's also not a guy that's going to back down from a challenge. He believes in himself, and we saw it on a few throws throughout the second half, primarily really all the throws that we saw on those two drives that everybody's going to talk about where he helped the team go 98 and 95 yards in back-to-back drives and score two touchdowns. Um, You know, he made the throw to Daz Newsom, which is still just unbelievable. I mean, every time that I watch that replay, I still can't figure out how that ball was not intercepted and how Daz Newsom was still somehow able to catch that. It was a great play by both Sam Howell and Daz Newsom. 
Also, I mean, you look at the two touchdown passes. I thought the pass to Deami Brown, I mean, he had he had to tip it to himself to catch it, but it was perfectly placed. There was no way that that ball was being picked off, and the only guy that had a chance at it was Deami Brown. He made the play, and, you know, I, I think that says more about Deami than it, than, than it says about Sam, but it really says a lot about how good he can throw the football as well. And then the lob pass to Bo Corrales, perfectly placed. And this is something that we've been asking for a long, long time. Um, you know, really each of the past two seasons since, you know, the breakout game against Miami for Bo Corrales, let this guy do work in the end zone. You know, the, whenever you get down in the red zone, throw it up and, and let him go and get the football in the in the end zone because he's a guy that really you feel like is probably the best go up and get it receiver that you've had on the roster the last two years I understand that you had Anthony Ratliff Williams but I don't I'm gonna be honest I think Corrales is probably a better high point catcher than Ratliff Williams I think Ratliff Williams was was good but again you know he was a converted quarterback so it's a little bit tough for him to be that great Corrales has the size and he has the leaping ability he showed that on Saturday and uh, I mean look you know if there's anything that you can say about Howell where he needs to improve I mean ball security was was definitely something that you'll look look towards I'm also I mean Mac Brown said it in his press conference today uh, might have even said it on on Mac Brown live uh look he's got to learn to slide he took some really big hits which you know again he wants to show that he's a tough kid he really is believe it or not if he needs to in a late game situation he can probably lower a shoulder and run a defender or two over he's got the size but you don't want to see him taking those hits all year because as we saw last year Tario quarterbacks don't really have the greatest injury history going for him. You don't want to risk that, especially with what we saw on Saturday. So, um, yeah, I, I can't say enough about it. I know uh, our buddy Tanner was saying that, you know, this is the best quarterback that he's seen at Carolina in probably the last 10 years. I think no, he, no, for no, no, no. he forgot about Mitch, but uh, – I, I, I look. I, I mean, this this kid's a special talent. This was the start of something special on Saturday. Yeah, well, no, he he had Tanner going from top ten quarterback, top five quarterback to best ever in three drives. Um, <laughs> but you know, you, you and I know Tanner very well. He gets very caught up in the moment. Doesn't want to disappoint. That's a good he point. Any of this. That's a good um, point. We thought he was joking, but no, he was he was being dead serious at the time. Like he had that dead serious look on his face. But then if you ask him like today, he'd probably be like, yeah, I mean, he's good, but he's not great. You're right. He gets he, he does get caught up in the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like, he's like a little schoolgirl sometimes <laughs> after on the playground. But, oh you know, and, and, in all honesty, some of the throws that Sam made, um, you, you don't see from. 18-year-old quarterbacks, unless you know they're special. Right. And this kid, Scott, I told you in the pregame, I thought coming home would settle him. He has the moxie uh, to play this position at a high level because you said he isn't, he isn't cocky, but he's confident in his ability to play the game mm -hmm. at a high level. And he did that in the second half, especially when Phil Longo kind of took the training wheels off, as we like to say. And they really got to and got to see what he can do. It's going to be a lot of fun watching him grow in front of our eyes. 
Right. It's one of the things I'm, I'm looking forward to as this season grows and as his career grows over the next two to three years, just seeing just how good he's going to be. Because we saw glimpses of a guy yesterday that looks poised to be an all, or Saturday, an all-conference kind of quarterback. So, oh, yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, you know, it, it's it's – I mean, it's going to be tough because there's going to be other guys that are definitely going to emerge. I mean, I would not put him ahead of Trevor Lawrence by by any means. But, like, I mean, honestly, if you look at progressing forward – what the rest of the conference is looking at. I mean, this he's he's got to be one of the top two or three guys that everybody's keeping an eye on going forward to be that next guy that steps up and, and becomes the talk of the ACC at quarterback whenever Trevor Lawrence steps steps uh you know takes that step to the next level. I was going to say steps down, but he definitely ain't stepping down. He's stepping up. And very right. soon. So, um, I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I, I, this is, you know, when you talk about the confident and cocky mix, I, look, uh, this is why I like the comparisons a little better to Brett Favre because, I mean, look, we, we you know, we were guys that we love Baker Mayfield. We loved watching him play in college. But he was definitely on the cocky side. Like, he was a guy that would talk trash. We, of course, remember the incident against Kansas. I, I, that's not how Sam is, um, but he is confident. And that's why I like the, the the Brett Favre comparison, because Brett Favre was a guy that, you know, could do all, you know, it, it very similar athletically to what Sam's going to eventually bring to the table. I'm not saying that Sam is Brett Favre yet. That's, that's an extreme reach right now. Um, but he has the mold of the guy that could be that later on in his career. But also the attitude, a guy that is confident in himself, but really is, you know, this a, a good teammate, really looks like he's going to be a guy that will listen to the coaching staff, do everything that they want to do. And we've heard from Mac Brown, you know, this is a guy that is always in the film room all the time. Like, I, I mean, Mac said it last week on the radio show, there's never not a time that this kid is not doing something football. Like, I, I mean, he's always thinking football. He's got to be watching film. He's got he's got to be doing something around the sport. And that's the mindset of a guy that honestly is going to go to the next level. I mean, we, we've heard about it so much. You que- they, they always question, you know, do you love football? There's a lot of guys that like football, that like playing football. But do you love the game? I said Sam Howell loves the game of football. And, you know, that that going along with the talent that we saw on display on Saturday, I think his ceiling is is humongous. I mean, right now, I mean, his, his floor is seeming pretty high as well. But that ceiling, man, I mean, he, you're, you're talking about – maybe the highest ceiling for a Tar Heel quarterback ever um, with, with where he could eventually get to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when we talk about the comparisons with Favre and Mayfield, I, I'd probably lean more with with, with Favre as well. Um, and, that, and that's not a bad thing, even though you and I are – are Baker homers to the, you know, the highest degree there is for, for not being Cleveland Brown fans. Um, 
Well, he's knocking on my Giants, so he's he, he the the degree of love for Baker has uh, definitely taken a, a a turn down. Um, but no, still, I mean, it's, it's expected. But I mean, the yeah. league better knock on the Giants. So oh yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, you know, you talk about the guy loving football, and and you're right. You know, every everything we hear is the the amount of time he's putting in the film room, learning learning the game, learning the system, how to become a better guy. And not saying that former quarterbacks didn't love the game, but you just didn't hear it as to, to this kind of degree from the coaching staff to the players, the media, just uh, this, guy, this guy breathes the game or breathes the game. Excuse right. And especially and that, this early in his career. What That's, yeah. that's another big thing. He, he didn't wait to – get his ass kicked all year long to try to become better. He won a starting job and, and started putting in even more hours. So it's that kind of hard work and dedication that got into Carolina from little old Monroe and, and Scott and is earning the right to be the future of this program. And I mean, like I said, the, the excitement level for me individually to watch, to watch him grow up in front of our eyes is one of the things I'm looking forward to uh, being a fan of the program. Uh, moving forward. Yeah, so uh, his final stats for his first career start, 15 of 24, 245 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 175.8. On those two touchdown drives that he had, he was 4 of 4 for 93 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, look, the kid has got – all the tools necessary. It's just how he grows over the next couple of years. I think it's going to be uh, awesome to watch, just like you said. And it's going to help that he's got a phenomenal offense around him. Um, you know, I guess let's start with the wide receivers. Uh, Daz Newsome, like we expected, really good game. Targeted five times, four catches for 74 yards. Average 18.5 yards per catch. But also Deami Brown. Again, we talked about him in the preseason for, I mean, just hours on end. Every single time that we wanted to talk about this team, talk about breakout players, you know, talk about guys that were going to have bigger seasons than they had a year ago. We talked about Deami Brown, and he, he really showed it on Saturday. Four catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown, 17.3 yards per catch, and he was targeted six times. So... I mean, look, the the touchdown catch itself was phenomenal, but really, Deami Brown had a great game all around, and it feels like he fits this offense a lot better. Of course, our favorite term, fine grass. That's yeah, that's that's something that he's de- he he definitely takes to heart. Um, and I think right now, when you look at who else besides Daz Newsom in this wide receiver core is going to step up, I think Deami Brown is the clear choice. And he got off to a fantastic start on Saturday for what we think could be a huge season. Yeah, no, this is the, the first step to him introducing his his name to college football at a high level. I tweeted that after he made the the, the ridiculous catch in the end zone. Um, he, he's going to be a really good player. And we knew this even last year. We saw glimpses of it. This coaching staff is going to put him in situations that are going to use his talents correctly. 
Uh, he, he's going to find grass, which, you know, the, we're going to kill that term so much by week three, Phil Longa may even retire. He doesn't even know us. <laughs> that is that is an elite thing. Um, and I, I've, I've stolen that. And he did, he did that Saturday. And it's just going to be fun watching watching how Phil Longo uses him because we're just scratching the surface with his offense, and he's such a dynamic player. We saw it with him in high school, and we're going to see it with him on college. It's, it's you know, him him setting some records isn't out of the reach. He, he's that good of, of, of a dude. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Again, what I mean, extreme overreactions uh, on this edition of the podcast, it seems. Um, I mean, this guy's better than Randy Moss, Jerry Rice. Uh, you name it, he's better. Here we go, here we go. Um, well, I, I do agree that he definitely has all the tools, though. Um, you know, he's a in high school, I mean, a dude that just caught everything, has the speed to beat defenders deep. And, you know, I mean, the concentration, I mean, to, to make that one-handed grab was just ridiculous. And you can see that there is a comfort level between him and, and Howell. Um, you know, I mean, both him and Newsom are really the guys that I think Howell looked towards. I mean, they easily had the most targets, 11 between them. Um, I think if you count up the rest of the targets between the rest of the team, I think, uh, yeah, it's 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 – what, 13 targets for the rest of the team and 11 to those two? So clearly those are the two guys that are definitely standing out. And while that makes sense because, you know, you look at Antone Green, um, you know, who was, you know, being rotated out again, he's still recovering from that ankle injury. Like you said on the pregame show, the fact that he was actually even out there is just remarkable, um, let alone the fact that he actually started the game. Then we saw Bo Corrales rotate in there. His only catch was the touchdown um and then we saw some other guys even uh toe groves had a had a great game he was actually the most successful of the receivers um that rotated in three catches for 35 yards on his three targets so um you know i'm i'm pleasantly surprised by what this receiving core is doing outside of daz newsome um you know diami's the guy that i think everybody's going to talk about a lot but, you know, even though the stats weren't there to show it, I thought all of the other guys really had their moments where they looked pretty good. Um, you know, they got to spaces where they needed to. Really, I, I mean, this is the biggest thing about what the wide receiving core did. They never really made Sam have to throw into a tough situation outside of, of course, the ridiculous catch, for, you know, by, by Daz Newsome um, that, you know, we're still trying to figure out, but you know, I, I thought they did a really good job of putting him in good situations. Um, you know, helping their freshman quarterback out, and so that's gonna that that could definitely pay dividends down the line. And I think that you know, really, all of those guys that we talked about, those are gonna be the big names that we're gonna have to keep an eye on this season. It really looks like the Tar Heels have five really good options that they can go to if needed. Um, on the ground, man. Um, you know, we asked for this team to run the football a lot more. Uh, look, they, they ran the ball 52 times through the ball, 24 times. Um, this game plan was to me perfect, especially for, you know, the first game with a true freshman at quarterback. Um, Javante Williams is a man. 
plain and simple. He will run through a brick wall and then run through another one after he finishes running through that one. Um, this kid literally does not get stopped. His yards after contact are ridiculous. Um, I mean, you know, he ran for 102 yards on 18 carries on Saturday. And I'm going to tell you just about every time he touched the football, he had a defender that grabbed onto him right after he got the football and he would still find a way to get at least three or four yards. Um, you know, he, he's the guy that I think really has established himself as the clear leader of this backfield. Um, I know Michael Carter got the start. He had a pretty solid day himself, 16 carries for 77 yards. And then uh, Antonio Williams, I thought, looked great in you know the time that he saw. He had four carries on the day, but those went for 53 yards, 13.3 yards per pop. So uh, that's, that's pretty good. But, you know, this backfield, look, we talked about it throughout – preseason and I talked about it with a lot of the national guys this backfield is loaded and they're not getting enough respect I I think Saturday just showed that that is definitely the case and that right now that is the best unit on this team hands down yeah no that's I I think that goes without question Uh, Matt Brown said today uh, in his press conference that you know there's going to be uh Another team in the country that you could find that has three guys as good as what Carolina has in their backfield, and that's not much of a stretch. Uh, Javante Williams, uh, you, you said man, dude, he's a dude. I mean, I don't whatever whatever jock term you want to use, dude, that, man, bro. Literally, all of them are just describing what Javante Williams is during the game. I gave him the nickname of Brick. I don't know if we should see if that's uh, – are, are we wanting to see if Javante would like that as an official show nickname? Because um, I, I, uh, think, I think it works. Uh, it's, it's, it's a horrible nickname, but look, when you have 18 carries for 102 yards and 80 of those yards come after contact, you deserve to be called whatever the hell you want. <laughs> yeah. those, are, those are damn good numbers. 80 yards after contact is that's sickening that shouldn't happen right um, but when you and I, I told you in, in pre-production the way we finished runs was something we've seen glimpses of you can just see there's more of an emphasis on it now to finish the play and that's why two yard runs turn into four and five yard runs and in the fourth quarter when it was when it, when the teams were tired, those five yard runs turned into eight and nine, and we just warmed out. And for a guy like me, there's nothing more beautiful in football than seeing you line up man against man and you willingly shove the ball down the other team's throat. And Carolina did that. Down eleven, we still got out there, lined up, and shoved it down their throat. And that's, you know, we hired Phil Longo, who runs Air Raid. And then Mac Brown said, well, we want to be able to run the ball. That's where the strength of this team is right now. You look at what Oklahoma does. If you watch Oklahoma like we do week in, week out, they can run the ball as good as anybody in college football. And that's what Carolina did on Saturday. It started up front. The offensive line all game long gave the running backs holes. And the, and the bats found them, mm-hmm. made the right decision. 
and, and just put us to a big day on the ground. It was what you wanted. But the true freshman quarterback, your first game of the season. Um, Carolina won all elements of the game you like to win in football. You won the turnover battle, you outrushed them, and you kept the ball longer. When you do those things in this game, a lot of times you win. And that's what happened on Saturday. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, a, a couple of things with that. Remember when Mac Brown and Phil Longo were telling us that if we run the ball well, we're going to stick with it. And we kind of said, okay, well, we've heard this in the past. Will this actually happen? The answer, as we found out on Saturday, is hell yes. If it's working, they will stick with it. They are not going to go away from it. Um, the comparison to Oklahoma is great. One of the main reasons that it's great is because what team did we hear Mac Brown comparing the offense that he wanted to run to all offseason? Oklahoma's. He loved the the offense that they ran from just watching them on TV, which was an offense that, look, they were a spread offense. I, w I don't know if you would call them an air raid offense. I guess maybe under Baker Mayfield you could call them an air raid offense. Last year, not really. Um, even though they still threw the ball a lot. But really, they're a team that, look, if one thing is working better than the other, they're going to go to it. Look at the game last year against Alabama in the playoff. Kyler Murray knew, look, man, we're not going to be able to run the ball against this team because nobody runs the ball that successfully against Alabama. Now, of course, you know, he had a couple of big runs himself because he's just a freakish athlete. And, you know, he, he's a guy that runs like a four, what, four, four, 40 as a quarterback or even or, or maybe even less than that. But that's because he played baseball. He's a different guy. Um, my point is, is that. You know, if you go back and watch some of their other games earlier in the year or just go back and watch last night's game with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, I mean, there were times where they were not even remotely thinking about passing until they were shown, okay, we have to actually pass the football because they're starting to stop the run. They, they knew coming in their game plan was let's run it run it, run it until they stop us. And that's the thing that Mac Brown wants to see is an offense that can shift back and forth and be successful to whatever the defense is giving you. And I think that's, you know, we, we saw that at times during this game. I think that they definitely, you know, the Toriels definitely were more run heavy, but once they started giving Carolina those passes, once they started loading the box and started putting – you know, their corners and safeties one-on-one -on -one against our receivers and tight ends. I think that was when Mac Brown said, okay, you know, and him and Fel Longo made the decision, let's start throwing the football a little bit more here because they're giving us what we want in the passing game now. Let's take what they're giving us. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you really got to hand it to this staff. Um Definitely strength and conditioning coach Brian Hess, because as you talked about with finishing runs, I think that's one of the big things that, you know, he focuses on. And you, you could say, you know, oh, well, the, the weight room is boring. That time of the season is boring. It's extremely important because our guys late in the game, yeah, we, we were rotating our running backs in and out. One of the things that you, you probably didn't notice because you don't keep an eye on the offensive line as much, our offensive linemen never came out of the game. There was only one 
rep that I I remember seeing one of our starting offensive linemen out of the game. Now, there might have been other times where our guys had rotated in, but every time that you look down there on the major drives, our starters were in the game. Even Jordan Tucker, who cramped up, came back in for the he, – he was in on the 98-yard drive, got injured on the Diami Brown pass, and then was back in for the first play of the 95-yard drive. So it just shows how much different these guys are conditioned under Brian Hess than they were under Lou Hernandez, who, you know, of course had his time. I mean, he did a great job early in the Larry Fedora era of coming in and getting those guys ready for the up-tempo offense that Larry liked to run early in his tenure before, of course, slowing it down. But towards the end, you could tell they needed a change. Brian Hess did a fantastic job. And I mean, the offensive line, you're going to have the trench report, so I won't talk too much about that because, you know, you're going to give us a, a, a lot on that. Um, whenever you release that, but I mean, look, you know, to, to have, you know, the guys that they had down there, which only two of them had substantial starting experience. The other guy that had starting experience was Jordan Tucker, who started one game, which was last year against NC state in the finale. He looked pretty good in that game, but I mean, let's be really honest. It wasn't hard to stick out and have a good game uh, amongst a team that really, at that point, had just given up. Um, but now, I mean, you look at how good he played on Saturday. I mean, look, Charlie Heck did a fantastic job opening the outside on, you know, the outside gaps on the left side. Jordan Tucker was just as good on the right side of opening up that outside running lane. Uh, he did it all day. He was fantastic. And then on the interior, you talked about the guys opening holes. I thought Ed Montillas was fantastic. Um, you know, Marcus McKeithen did about as much as you can ask for from a guy that is, you know, literally had moved from tackle to guard and was seeing the first significant reps at guard earlier in the week because he was named the starter there. Before that, he had pretty much played primarily tackle. He had not seen any sort of significant snaps inside, and he came in and played great. Nick Polino looked really good as well at center, didn't have any miscues snapping the football. So, it, look, I, you know, that offensive line, I can't talk about it enough. He, they let up three sacks, but this is the best that they've looked in a very long time. Um, let's talk about the defense here because we've been focusing on the offense so much. And, I mean, when you talk about the defense, I mean, come on. The first guy that we got to talk about is Miles uh, Woolfolk, who just had a phenomenal game. Um, definitely the game of his career. Two interceptions, both of them crucial. Um, the second one, which just blew the top off of, uh, you know, the – Tar Heel fan base that was there. Um, you know, he, he did a fantastic job. He was one of the first guys as well that after the early struggles to tackle, really started making some big tackles, laid a huge hit on, on Shy Smith early in uh, the second quarter, and that really seemed to jumpstart his game. Um, he's definitely the standout player for me, but there were so many other guys that stepped up on defense. Um, but Miles Wolfolk, I mean, you know, I, I talked about it in the recap article and in the stock report article. This guy, you know, we've been looking for a playmaker in the secondary. What we saw on Saturday proves that Miles Wolfel could be that guy going forward. Yeah, no, 
hell of a game from him individually. Um, I actually thought you were going to start with Chas because this dude, you would have never thought he played quarterback the first couple years he was on campus because he, he was everywhere. You name it, he was there. Right. We saw him sacrificing his body for pass breaks up, was making good tackles. Um, overall, the defensive effort, it started with the game plan from Jay Bateman, who had these guys in the right positions for 60 minutes. The first 30, we didn't tackle at the level you want to see us tackle at. But a lot of that was probably just adjusting to tackling a new opponent. Mm-hmm. And this is the first game, but tackling's always pretty bad in college football with not being with not having a, a preseason. The second half is as good a defensive half we've seen since Butch Davis was in Chapel Hill. Yes. That's how good these dudes were. They were making plays. Um, we couldn't get any pressure on Bentley in the first half. In the second half, we could get pressure without the blitz. The defensive line, Eric Crawford, looked like the guy we, we expected to see when he's healthy, which he hasn't been in about two years. Um, and I think maybe Toyo fans forgot just how just how good he is because we haven't seen him on the field a whole lot. Right. This guy is, is really good. Um, you and I love Jason Strobridge. And he showed it again on Saturday why you know, Jay Bateman raves about him. We brag about him all the time. He's going to be playing in the NFL at some point. Um, really just a complete effort from them. Uh, they, they held South Carolina to 128 yards rushing, forced Bentley into 16 to 30 passing. Of course, you got the two picks. I mean, just we didn't expect that. Game one, year one. That's the kind of effort we would maybe expect in November against a, a lesser, like a lesser ACC opponent that's not very good on offense. But we talked about it leading up to the game. South Carolina's offense last year highly efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, then you add in a Tavian Feaster who had a big play and showed you why he's one of the best running backs in college football. But after that, there wasn't a whole lot of room for them to run. And we started suffocating Bentley and made him into the quarterback that has his fan base pissed off at him because he doesn't handle situations and pressure very well for a guy who's been in, in the sport four years. And it, it worked out beautifully for Carolina. Well, I told you, coming in to the game, I said it in the pregame show, Jake Bentley's the same quarterback that he was when he was a freshman. He can make some plays, but when it comes to clutch time, and especially when he's under pressure, he gets erratic and makes mistakes. And I agree with you. Carolina, as the game went on, and again, this has to turn back to, you know, just how, you know, efficient they've been in the weight room, how much they've worked to get their stamina at a point where, um, you know, they, they can last well into these games. And that's something that is so important for this 2019 Tar Heel team because they are not that deep. And it look, it's it's really all over. The defensive line, you can maybe have some of those guys that can rotate in and out because there is uh, some depth that has developed there, but at the linebacker at the linebacker spots primarily inside and especially in the secondary. These guys, I mean, it if we're being honest, 
you almost need to be in there the entire game. That's that's just how it works. Now that's, you know, look, I, I mean, no one's going to be in there the entire game. Of course, you're going to have moments where you come out. But the thing was, when you saw guys come out, they were out for a play or two and then back in on defense. And, you know, Aaron Crawford was a guy that never seemed to lead the field. You talked about him. I mean, look, he only played 10 snaps all last year. He was just never fully healthy. And, you know, to see him back and playing the way that, you know, we had heard rumors about in fall camp, but we were wondering, okay, you know, we we still – you know, we've heard how great this guy is. He's had some flashes, but he's he, he's never been out there long enough. This was probably the best game of his career. Um, you know, six total tackles. He had two tackles for loss and even a sack, which, you know, look, for a true, a true nose guard, which is pretty much what he's become, you're not supposed to be able to get to the quarterback. Aaron Crawford is just different. He's that athletic, and I thought he did a great job of getting to Jake Bentley quite a couple of times in the second half, forcing him to have to step out of the pocket. But, I mean, you you mentioned Chaz Surratt. Look, there's been guys that have moved to linebacker from quarterback before. The most notable one that popped into my head immediately was Tanner McAvoy, a quarterback who did it at Wisconsin. But he moved to outside linebacker, which I feel like is a little bit a little bit easier because you don't have to do as much. You don't have to be as good of a tackler because you, especially at Wisconsin, you've got so many great guys around you on the defensive line and at inside linebacker. Chasserat started in the middle of this defense on Saturday, and he did everything that you needed to do. Even early in the game, there were a couple of times where he missed some tackles. He was in the right spots. And that was something that you got to give credit to Jay Bateman and his staff for doing even in the first half. You had the guys in the right spots. They just weren't executing. So that's where you look at this defensive performance from the Tar Heels as a whole. And there are a couple other guys that you got to point out. Greg Ross um, really stood just a a stand-up performance. A guy that lost his confidence last year, came in, had to play most of the first half as the number one corner because Patrice Rene was out due to suspension. And then Trey Morrison left after the first tackle that many people saw on television. You could tell something was wrong with him. Um, He went back to the locker room with what they called an upper extremity injury. It's just a concussion. It's nothing major. And again, concussions are not something that we shouldn't take seriously. They definitely should. But when you heard upper extremity, you thought it could be a lot worse. It's not. But Greg Ross performed well. Storm Duck, um, you know, we thought he held his own. He definitely did. But Jay Bateman pointed out today in his press conference that um, he, he barely survived um, because actually on the first play that he was on the field, he lined up in man coverage when he was supposed to line up in zone coverage. So um, <laughs> a freshman mistake from him, but he actually played a pretty good game as well. Uh, Patrice Rene, when he came back in, looked good. Um Tamone Fox, a guy that landed on the Pro Football Focus uh, All-ACC team for the week. There were just a ton of guys that really had great games. Jeremiah Gemmel, another one that really just can't be forgotten about. So talked about during the preseason and a great game. But overall, you know, this staff did such a great job of having these guys where they needed to be 
and putting together a complete game plan, something that we haven't seen on the defensive side of the ball since, as you mentioned, the Butch Davis era. Because I don't care what anybody says, Gene Shizik's game plans were not good. They just turned the football over a lot during the 2015 season. If you want to know how bad his game plans were, go back to the to the bowl game against Baylor, and you tell me whether or not you'd rather have Gene Chizik or Jay Bateman as your defensive coordinator. There you go. Um, I think. I mean, yeah. I, I think that that pretty much says it all right there. Um, you know, I do kind of caution people a little bit to slow down with the expectations for this defense. Don't think that everything is 100% solved now and that they're, you know, this this is the expectation going forward and if they do struggle in a game here or there, okay, we're going back to being the same defense. No, 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 that's not how it's going to be. You know, there are going to be some of those games where you're going to face some of those better offenses because, look, South Carolina had a good offense. They were also replacing some key guys from last year. Um, I, you know, I, I still think, you know, there's reasons to be encouraged, though, by what you saw. This isn't like the last couple of years where you played a Cal offense in the last two season openers that, frankly, was just not good the rest of the year. There's a reason why Cal was, you know, yeah, they did make a bowl game because they had elite defenses, not because their offenses were any good. So this is a little bit different. I think there's reasons to feel confident going forward. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm expecting another good performance uh, against Miami um, on Saturday. I feel like this defense, for the first time in a long time, is confident in themselves. Oh, yeah, you hit everything on that day. I think that was. I think when we entered Saturday, whether we won or lost, we wanted to leave the game being a confident team. Mm-hmm. And you do that through winning, yes, but also in other ways. So we got the win in the fourth quarter, and that builds confidence. But you, you also now have what comes to your coaching staff because they told you certain things were going to happen, and then these things happened. And so then you believe in the coaching more. But then also you believe in yourself more because they tell you, well, you're going to make plays and you're going to make the right decision and you're not going to make boneheaded decisions. And we did that. I thought you you take away some pre-snap penalties. I thought we played a very clean, disciplined game for being the first game of the year. Mm-hmm. And the coaches put the players in positions where they told them they were going to put them. And you made the plays you were told you were going to make. And so now you're confident in yourself and the coaching staff, and you got the win. And now it's about building and growing from Saturday as we look forward to Miami. So the last thing that we'll talk about um, – actually, no, we'll do two things. We'll talk about the just extreme I, – I wouldn't say negative, but – very concerning play at the end of the game. And then we'll talk about, of course, after the game. But when you look at that last play on offense for the Tar Heels, on fourth down, you know, we heard what Mac Brown said about what the original game plan was for Sam Howell to do. Um, you know, I understood what he was thinking But am I the only one that was kind of thinking, okay, we just saw on the previous knee 
you know, South Carolina came after Sam Howell a little bit. Of course, we thought there should have been a personal foul penalty because he got pushed to the ground after he had taken the knee. But Max said that, look, we were trying to get the snap off. Sam was supposed to back up and try to waste as much time as possible and then take the knee. My thing was, though, South Carolina was going to come after Sam either way. I... I'm going to be honest, I I really didn't think that was the greatest game plan there. Am I the only one that was kind of questioning that call? No, I'm pretty sure you and I had one of our many discussions we have during the games about what what was going on. Uh, Did we Uh, not at one point turn to each other and say the exact same word to each other at the same time? Larry? Yeah, I mean, and, and look, Max said it post game. We tried to screw it up, and and, and, and one thing I, I've got to say that when I heard him say that, I just I saw Roy Williams in the in you know in a post game interview saying that hey that hey, is as close hold on to Roy line as there is okay. Let's, let's, okay, talk about, because we're going to get into that here in a second, but I don't want to lead into it too much because, yeah, we we share very similar sentiments when it comes to what he said in, in the post game. I agree. But, I agree. Yeah, no, I mean, it was just, I don't know what they were doing. I, 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 I still don't know what was happening. <laughs> There's no explanation for what that was. If they would have lost the game... There would have been a riot. Um, maybe, maybe one or two Tar Heel fans and five fifty-three dead. Maybe <laughs> that was our section. If anybody's wondering, we were planning to um, take a flying leap over the uh, over the uh, balcony and just uh, see where we ended up. But I, I'm not a guy that promises anything. <sighs> I promise you will not see that ever again. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't, I, I know he tried to explain it in the post game what, what the plan was, but I still don't understand wh- how, how that was supposed to work. Like, would it not have just been easier to punt the ball away? And I mean, first of all, it would have taken a lot more time off the clock, and second of all. You know, wherever that ball ends up, I don't even, I mean, my my thinking would have been just to tell Ben Kiernan, who, you know, actually had a pretty solid game punting the ball, look, just put a leg into it. Wherever it goes, it goes. It's better than, you know, them having the ball where they did, which was the Toriel 47-yard line, um, which, let's be honest, I mean, there was a legitimate chance. Now, they did a great job. You got to hand it to the defensive line. Jason Strobridge, Aaron Crawford was in there again on that one. They made sure that that did not happen on that last play of the game. But, I, I mean, to me, I, I would have just, just told my punter, look, send it as far as you possibly can. I don't even care if it goes into the end zone. Punt that ball as far as you can. And we'll just deal with whatever time we got left after that. Um, you know, I I don't know. Maybe that's just me, though. Maybe that's just me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, 
I wanted to punt the ball because, like you said, you you had some trust in your punter because uh, he, outside of maybe one time out kicking the coverage, had punted the ball very well, which was a question during the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, like you said, you put them on your side of the 50 with 10 seconds. And we've seen crazy things happen in this sport. And it just would have been so Carolina to lose. But Larry Doors not on the sideline anymore. That crap ain't happening to us. There you go. There you go. I, I thought the exact same thing at the time. And, uh, yeah, it it worked out for Carolina. They get the win. And then, of course, after the game, you know, the big-time celebration. Um, Brian Anderson actually chest bumps Ramsey, knocks him over. That that was a real thing. We didn't see that from our end. But we uh, when they went back and showed the video, that actually happened. Um, you know the the celebration with the with the fans and the student section was really cool because um, you know you you can tell that with this group of players, and I think it's a big part. It, it's in part because of the staff. There was a different connection with the fan base this year than in past years because you know I think Mac Brown really you know wants I mean he's he's came out and put some pressure on the fans to look get out to the stadium and support these guys but at the same time I think he's telling these players look these guys that are coming out to support you these fans that are coming out and giving up their time and their money to support you make sure that you show them that you appreciate everything that they're doing for you so after the game that was a really cool moment and while all of that was going on you had the interview with Allison Williams for head coach Mac Brown you know, he tears up. Um, you know, we we you know went back and watched it. We almost started crying ourselves. May have shed a few tears. We want to seem like men on this podcast, but you know what? Men are only allowed to cry about a few things: death and football. That's pretty much it. So, um, yeah, we definitely teared up. And you know, you said something there when we were talking about that last play that I think kind of carries over into everything that we saw from Mac Brown in the post game it really does have like a Roy Williams type feel and i think part of that is because of his age that's sort of the old school coaching way which is okay you know we're we're it, let's be honest very blunt uh he'll he'll call out what went wrong. He 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 said it in the post game. Um we're going to have a staff meeting because we almost messed this up. We need to look at ourselves in the mirror and figure out what we did wrong. Um you know there are definitely some things that they'll look back, you know, with with the players, couple of those penalties that you talked about. But I I like the fact that look, he's willing to call it, to to say, "Hey, we didn't call a great game either. We weren't perfect." Um you know, it it never seemed like the coaching staff before really took any sort of responsibility. Larry Fedora was a guy that, you know, in the post game, I mean, I'll give it to him, you know, that that was his style was really to not give anything away. It wasn't that he blamed players. He didn't blame anybody. Um, but Mac Brown's a guy that will call out the faults from his staff and he'll call out the faults from his team. He's not going to point out players individually, but he will yeah, he, he's he's fair to call out these guys that say you know 
these groups that struggle or whatever, you know, and then you look at, you know, just him thanking the fans, talking about what it means for the players, everything just in a, in a nutshell, really to me, you know, I, I, it seemed like, is this Roy Williams out here coaching? And then, you know, don't even get me started on the dancing afterwards, something that we've seen Roy do many, many times before. Um, you know, the ultimate question will be going forward, who is a better dancer, Mac Brown or Roy Williams? Uh, that one is is still uh, a, a long way from being decided, though, I have a feeling. Yeah, the whole Roy-Mac thing, um, it's real. Like, it's just, you know, you talk about that interview, and uh, I've probably watched it 15 or 20 times just variously on Twitter on the way home after the ball game, I get up middle of the night. It's on my timeline again. And, uh, I, and, and when he start when, when he, when he starts talking about the kids, it kind of got me a little emotional. I put a tweet out after the game talking about all the things Matt Brown has done since he came back. And the most important thing he's done is he's made he's made it about the kids. He's made it fun for these guys that, for most of them, their college football experience hasn't been a whole lot of fun because they haven't won games. Mm-hmm. And now he's, he's you know we've upgraded the locker room. We got the practice facility. You've got big time coaches at every level on your coaching staff. And then you win. And just to see these group of guys be that happy is truly what, outside of winning, is what makes sports sports. Seeing the smile on those faces for some kids who have had a tough time and have had a fan base, and even you and I at times have been critical of these these, these guys because they haven't performed at the level they we expect of them. And it's then you hear the way Mac Brown talks, and if he says "daggum," I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I think that's says, uh, I think that's trademark to Roy. I think he may actually have to pay Roy to use that phrasing. Because when he said we tried to screw it up, I mean, you hear Roy say that all the time. Yes, that that exact line. We tried to screw it up. Hell, he opens press conferences like that. He, he tried to screw it up. Right. He'll and throw himself under the bus, usually, usually at least once a year. He has that one game where he's like, you know, I blame, I, I blame myself. I just, I, I did not coach these guys the way they should have been coached tonight. And that was the feeling that you got from Mac Brown. And I mean, look, you know, I know that. You know, basketball and football are separate. And comparing him to a guy that has, you know, won three national championships, has been here now, uh, you know, since he returned to Chapel Hill as the head coach, he's been here for 14 years. I know that's tough to make that comparison and for everybody to say, oh, I see that. But we're just, you know, just looking at, you know, that press conference and the way he talked. And really just the fact that he, you know, 
really is making this a family type of feel. And that's something that, you know, we just haven't heard a lot around Tar Heel football. It, it may have been used here and there by some of the former players, but it was kind of like a loosely used term. It's kind of like, oh, we're just, you know, we're, we're kind of using that because, you know, we, we feel, you know, that's what we want. Now they actually have that. You've seen all the former players that have come back. Former players that never even played under Mac may have never even seen him on campus before he his return to Chapel Hill. They're coming back, and it actually feels like a family mindset. Like, look, we're all in this together. You know, we want everybody that, you know, has been there and done that, that will be there and do that to, you know, be a part of this experience and help us to get where we need to go because we can't do it alone. Um, well, I'll, I'll reference my tweet again because this is how I closed my, my tweet. Saturday proved, and I know it's one game, but it proved why bringing a guy – who's been retired for what would, would have been six years if he went not back into coaching this year. Right. And coaching in six years. What is, not was, he is, for present-day North Carolina football, he's the guy. Because he gets it. He understands how to win here. The How difficult it can be when football isn't the top priority in your athletic department. But the uniqueness of also winning here, because he's he's already done it. It just you know, and look, we had we had a debate after we hired him. Uh, Twitter, you know, the rival fan bases have mocked him. It was questioned on a national level from every media outlet there is why we went the direction there is when there was a young, talented Scott Satterfield who was from the state was available. But I think, you know, when he's done what he's done, he's up the recruiting, the facilities. You've got as good a coaching staff as there is in college football. What's happened with all those guys? Now we're being mentioned on college game day. Kirk Street picked us to win the game on game day. Chris Fowler said tonight that Carolina is now a team that has got to have his attention as he as – he, you know, prepares throughout the ACC students if he has to get a game, especially if they find a way to win Saturday night. It's why Mac Brown is the right man for Carolina football. There was a time when Larry Fedora was the right guy for us, and for a short amount of time it worked. Mm-hmm. That 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 passed. Now it's it's time. It, it was time for Mac Brown to come home. It's how he got the Texas job, and you know we talked about the Roy thing. You hear Roy talk a lot about Kansas, and we hear Matt talk a lot about Texas. I mean, it's just, it's the same dude. They, I mean, they probably just, just change uh, a transcript of how they're going to talk on a day-to-day basis. Because it is literally the exact same thing. They've got to have meetings, right, where they where they talk about, you know, what phrases they're going to use this week. Because they all, I mean, they both have their, their go-to phrases. Um, you know, I mean, they're both, you know, they both like to use the folksy wisdom. They both talk about how they're getting old, how they're getting chubby. I mean, it's it's literally, I mean, dude, literally, you know what it is? They are us two. 
They are basically the same person, just in, you know, a different spot. And one oh, of yeah, them yeah. covers football, so I'm Mac, and you are Roy. So there, yeah, I mean, there, we, get, there we go. We figured it out. Oh. And uh, we, we, we joked about coining Phil Longo's phrase earlier in the podcast. I have coined Mac Brown's. Football is a simple game complicated by men. Carolina simplified the game Saturday. And that's a big part of why they won. Well, there you go. This is the last thing that I'll leave you with. We see now why guys want to play for Mac Brown because he cares about you. And I'm going to tell, I, I said it when we did the schedule breakdown. If there is anybody that can make you believe in yourself, it is Mac Brown. We'll see how that pans out the rest of the year. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we break down Miami and whether or not there will be the confidence there. But, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition. I know this is over an hour long, but look, this was just, there was so much excitement to do this podcast. We almost, we, we wanted to do it on Saturday. We really did, but it got, it got late really quick because, you know, we were hanging out with our buddy Tanner, who, as you guys saw on the pregame show, came down from Ohio. You know, he's going to go back up. And, you know, unfortunately, he won't be able to hang out around us as much as we like. So we wanted to spend as much time as we could with him. Um, that's why we didn't do it on Saturday night. But we were waiting for this. And that's why we wanted to do it tonight. Because... You know, there was just so much excitement around it. Um, you know, it seems like that's going to only continue. Uh, the game against Miami is is basically sold out. I, they haven't officially announced it. There were 55 tickets as of earlier this evening. I'm assuming that all 55 of those tickets are probably gone. Um, so I, I think in the morning when you wake up, that'll be the third sellout of the season, which means that three of the Tar Heels' six home games are are currently sold out. Duke and Virginia are really not that far behind, and depending on what happens going forward for the Tar Heels, will likely follow behind. The only game that, as we were talking about earlier, might not be sold out is Mercer, but it really just depends. Um, you know, if this team is really on on fire come late in the season, something similar to what we saw in 2015, maybe, maybe not on that same level, maybe a record somewhere where we were in 2016 around seven and three um you know maybe that game gets sold out so we'll just have to wait and see but telling you what the excitement is back in the air in chapel hill and we are here for it so make sure you guys go online to heeltuplog.com that's where you can check out all of the great stuff that we have on there this podcast will be on there make sure you guys uh like and subscribe to the podcast um also on apple um Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn.com, Radio.com app. All of these places have it. Um, you guys can make sure you check out the podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. We like being criticized because, uh, you know, look, we'll, we'll do as Mac Brown is doing with his staff. We will have our weekly meetings where we sit down and yell at each other and call each other morons for doing certain things. But every time we're looking to get better every time we do this podcast. So, um, yeah, make sure you guys do that. But also you go to the website, look 
at the articles. We've got all the different stuff for you guys to read, and this is how it's going to go throughout most of the season. So um, we had the preview for the South Carolina game. The preview for the Miami game will be uh, later this week where we will break down everything that you guys need to know. you got all the stats, all the projected starters, all the injury reports that you need. It'll all be right there so you guys can check out all of that stuff and know everything you need. Then once the game is over, we do the recap. Now then this next week's this one will definitely be a Sunday recap because the game is at 8 o'clock at night. That means the game won't end until roughly 11, probably more like 11.30 or 12 because we all know how college football games last a really long time because of the stoppages after first downs and everything like that. Um, so there's no way that we're going to put it up that late at night. We're not going to make you guys stay up that late to read it. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for us either because we're probably going to we're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not we're going to drive back. Who knows? We might put that up on a poll and see what you guys pick for us, um, which means that you guys will pick for us to drive back because you just want to see us suffer. But um, we'll make sure that we uh, put that up. That'll be up on Sunday. Stock reports will come out on Mondays. That's going to give you um, all the guys that are trending up, all the guys that are trending down. Um, you guys can check those out. Uh, the one is up there for week one, so make sure you guys head over and check that out. Um, and then we will have the trench reports. Those will come out uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of each week. Um, that'll be uh, done by Josh, who you just heard. Uh, he's going to break down both sides of the trenches, both offensive and defensive line. This one should be a fantastic one. I'm going to tell you that much. But he'll do that each week, and then that's uh, when it'll cycle back. So Thursday or Friday. I'm going to try to do them Thursday and then release them on Friday morning. That's when we're going to have the previews. It'll all start over again, and that's how we'll do the game weeks each week. So you guys get all the great content, and you're ready to go for the game, and then we help to uh, recap it for you afterwards. So make sure you go to HealToughBlog.com. You can subscribe to the newsletter or um, really just our mailing list. We don't really do the newsletter that much anymore because we do send out every article to you guys. So whenever we complete the article, it's sent right to your uh, inbox so that you can read it. All you have to do is download the app, you pull it up, and you can read everything right there. So make sure that you guys sign up for that. Also, head over to the Facebook page. That's another place where you can check out all the articles, podcasts, any announcements that we have. You can go back and watch that preview uh, or the pregame for the South Carolina game. If you just want to go back and watch us sit there and talk about the game for a little while beforehand, um, you know, you, you could do that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We're not going to do one in any of the games the rest of the season. Unfortunately, that's something that could be in the works down the line. Um, but we'll uh, let you know a little bit more about that. Um, if we do get any more information on that that'll probably be uh next year um you know that's something that we we, we gotta wait to expand um but we really enjoyed uh you know doing that for you guys and we enjoy the fact that you guys are you know like to tune into that and tune into this podcast so i think that's going to wrap it up for this edition make sure you tune in later this week where we will have the miami preview um josh will be back for that and it should be a fantastic breakdown as we get ready to preview uh the first First conference game for the Tar Heels under Mac Brown, and it's also the home opener. That is going to be a ridiculous environment, and we will get you prepared for it on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. So, thank you to Josh for being with me on this podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and remember, as always, go Tar Heels.